You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hi, I'm Sherry Davis, Canada's Dogmaster and the trainer of Rex on the hit TV series Hudson and Rex. This week, you've got worms. Welcome to How to Dog. Just mentioning the word parasite gives me the heebie-jeebies. But, like it or not, at some point, your dog is likely to pick up some kind of parasite, usually a worm of some kind. So this week, we're going to speak to some experts about how to prevent or manage that common canine parasite. The other day, I had a tapeworm removed. Oh yeah? How'd it go? Ah, it was a gut-wrenching experience. Hi everyone, a reminder that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be professional advice. Always consult with an expert when taking care of your own doggo. Over to you, Sherry. My first guest today is Dr. Araceli Lucio Forster. She is a professor of veterinary parasitology at Cornell University. She's a frequently published researcher who also teaches vet students about how to identify different parasites. Dr. Araceli, welcome to How to Dog. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. Um, Of course, uh, How to Dog is about education and a little bit of fun and hopefully, you know, saving, saving some dogs from distress. So um, could you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I am a parasitologist, which means that I study parasites, um, things like fleas and ticks and worms. Uh, And I work at Cornell University at the vet school. And my job is to teach our vet students about all those creepy crawlies um, and how to keep them out of dogs or how to treat them and how to identify them as well. Here's something really interesting. And I never thought of it because... You know, I have that medical background. I've been around animals for so long. And somebody said to me, you know, my friend's dogs had worms and I didn't see any on their coat. Yeah. So the worms are going to be inside of the dog. um, And depending on the kind of worm that we're talking about, they might be in blood vessels like heartworm or they could be in the intestine. Many of the worms that dogs get commonly are in the intestine. So all of them will be inside. And one of the things we do um, with our vet students is try and find evidence of them by looking at poop. (laughs) All right, so, um, and poop, obviously the dogs would shed the, the worms through their stool. Right. So their young are passed out in the feces. And this is why veterinarians will ask you to bring in a stool sample from your pet. Um, And then we can look to see if we can find any eggs or evidence of those parasites. Okay. So now people out there are going, okay, but when I had my dog tested for heartworm, they took blood. Yes, absolutely. So with heartworm, because those worms are in the vessels, their young are going to be circulating in the blood. And that's because mosquitoes are going to be the ones that transmit that disease. So with a heartworm, does that mean that you're saying in the blood vessels, do do they get to the heart or why is it called heartworm? Yeah, so that's a really common question. Um, The adult worms, which are really big, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but they're about 
you know, a foot in size, the length of like a, a ruler, um, they're going to be in the vessels that connect the heart to the lungs. Um, and when they first get into the dog in the bite of a mosquito, they're teeny, teeny, tiny, and they won't be in those areas yet. So it takes a while for them to move to those, um, to that place where they're going to become adults. And that takes about six months. So does, uh, now I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, uh, does heartworm medication work? It absolutely works when we use it the way that we should use it. So giving it as the product or our veterinarians tell us to use it. I will say that we do have some strains of heartworm that are resistant. They're a little bit hardier. Um, so that is a concern, but when we use it over and over and over, we always get fewer worms rather than more. So that's always important. Um, and the reason it's called heartworm is because many times when an animal was to pass away and we look, because there isn't the pressure of the blood pushing those worms, keeping them in the blood vessels that connect to the lungs, they flow back into the heart. So when the animal has passed, we see the worms in the heart hence the, the term. Okay. And is it possible to treat heartworm if the dog has ha if the dog is tested positive? It is possible and you should treat heartworm when the dog has tested positive. Um, there will need to be probably some figuring out as to, you know, whether there are still adults there or if it's testing positive for a different reason, maybe the worms have already died. But most of the time, when the dog tests positive, you're going to have some confirmation that that is um, where that you do have adult worms there. And then there are treatments for that, which um, one of which is called malarcimine. It's a it's an injection, and that's the only thing that'll kill the adult worms. But your veterinarian would be able to um, to guide you through that. So there is a hope in saving your animal if they have been diagnosed positive. Oh, absolutely. And it always depends on the number of worms that are present. The most important thing, I think, is to know that they are positive because when those worms start to die, which is what we want them to do, um, unfortunately, they're going to be stuck in those vessels. So they kind of rot in place and you have to keep your animal very quiet in the month after or two after treatment to make sure that there's no chunks of worms that start to clog up the blood vessels and could lead to to problems but as long as the entire team you and your veterinarian are aware of that um, they have really good chance of making it through I'm Sherry Davis, and today on How to Dog, we're talking about dogs and parasites. Later in the show, I'm going to speak to Dr. Mike McClenahan, an expert on worms and host of the popular YouTube channel, Bowtie Vet Guy, and the podcast, Vets Unleashed. That's coming up shortly. Right now, I'm speaking to Dr. Araceli Lucille Forster. She is a professor at Cornell University who specializes in animal parasites. Parasites. 
Okay, now up here in Canada, in Ontario here, we have a thing called winter that is freezing cold. And a lot of people I know stop the medication in the winter for worms and heartworm. So not only, you know, your basic worms, but also your heartworm medication. Um, You know, is it wise to continue just on a monthly basis, even though we're in our winter months? Yes, absolutely continue. I, in Ithaca, we're pretty cold here too. Maybe not as cold, I don't know. Um, but one of the things that happens is that, I don't know if for you guys, but for us, winter hasn't been as cold as it used to be. And sometimes we get a few days of warm weather and the ticks are out. Um, and if the ticks are out, the mosquitoes can be out too. There's also a situation where we have what's known as heat islands. So there's areas, pockets, micro environments where there's, it might be warmer. And we know that that can happen around cities or you know, in buildings. So there's a possibility, perhaps smaller, but a possibility that you could get transmission in winter. I'm going to um, ask a question because I know many ask this. If my dog has heartworm, can I get it? If your dog has heartworm, you cannot get it easily. So I don't want people to worry. It is possible for people to get heartworm. We get it from the mosquitoes, however. So mosquitoes that have already taken up the young of heartworm could deposit it into a person, but we're not dogs. And so the worms don't like living in us very well. So most of the time you won't even know that you're infected. There are very, very few cases, and this is not a worm that I would say you need to worry about your dog infecting you. So uh, a lot of people now are going, well, my dog doesn't have worms and my dog doesn't have worms. Is it true that worms can live in a cystic state and then under stress of the dog, they can shed? Is that yes, no, fallacy? Um, Yes, but. So yes, they can be in this kind of you know, they can kind of hibernate, Um, not all worms, but certainly the hookworms and the roundworms. They can be just hanging out in the tissue of the dog and life is good. They can reactivate. Um, It's not likely to happen necessarily with stress, but hormonal changes and maybe other changes that we aren't completely um, knowledgeable of, or at least me. Um, So around the time that mom is going to have her pups, those uh, larvae or the babies, the young can reactivate and get into the puppy. The other thing that happens is from time to time, especially probably when we deworm and there's like that feedback uh, to indicate that there's a, you know, there's new real estate open in the intestine, that these uh, younger stages can then say, oh, it's time to wake up and let's let's move into the intestine and grow up and you know, become adults. So there, it is absolutely true that you can have um, stages left behind even after deworming that you won't be able to get rid of with medications until they're old enough to kill. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go to a place that most people uh, will go to with me and they'll say, my dog got worms and you know, my dog doesn't eat poo. So how is this even possible? Yeah, well, we often say that the only dog that doesn't eat poop is the one that doesn't have access to it, (laughs) but fine. Um, So the thing is that worms have figured out 
how to get into the the dogs, right? These are um, relationships that have been established over a very long time. And so the parasites are actually just going to exploit the behavior of the dogs. So dogs can get worms from eating prey, and that can be birds and mammals, but also cockroaches and earthworms. So they can get roundworms and hookworms that way. And the other way that dogs get worms, roundworms and whipworms, is from eggs that are in the soil. And those eggs for those two worms can last for eight to 10 years in soil. So there may not be any evidence of there being feces or poop out there. Um, and yet animals get infected that way. You know, it's funny because so many people I'll say, well, do you go to a dog park? And they're like, yes, but you know, I pick up my dog poop, but like you say, it could be sitting in the soil or, you know, dogs sniff each other's butt when they greet each other. And there's another risk there of a potential inf getting infected. Is there not? Well, I'm so glad that you said that because part of what I meant to say earlier that I left out of that little um, discussion that I gave you is that most of the worms that, um, that we're talking about here actually take time in the environment to become infective, to be able to establish in a new host. So if one dog, let's say my dog happens to have roundworms and I do not pick the feces up fast enough, before some other dog eats that, they won't get infected because those eggs haven't developed into a stage that can then infect the dog. So there are some parasites like Giardia, which is also very common, that dogs can get from licking each other um, or from eating feces. But these other ones like whipworms and roundworms, they take two weeks to a month to develop in the environment to the point where they can then infect a dog. Okay. So you touched down on one that I really want to touch down on, and that's Giardia. Could you explain where it is and, and what it is? Sure. So Giardia is a parasite. It is a, a critter that gets into animals, but it's only a single cell. So it's a little guy. It's not the same as the worms that we've been talking about. So it falls in a different category. It's just a single-celled organism that lives in the small intestine and can be associated and sometimes can cause diarrhea. And there's different types of Giardia in different hosts or different, you know, animals and in people. Um, super common. I usually tell my vet students that having Giardia in an animal, all it tells you is that you have a live animal and that it's not a reptile. So pretty much anything like um, mammals, birds, and fish even, and amphibians could get Giardia, reptiles do not. Okay, so here's my next question. A lot of people will say to me, my cat has worms, I'm, I'm deworming my cat, and my dog ate the cat poop out of the litter box. Yeah, it's delicious, they tell me. <laughs> my dog does that every time she gets a chance which I, yeah, I'm not happy about. Um, but now I've announced it to everybody, but <laughs> we all know they do it, right? Um, right, so the cat can pass roundworms, typically are the ones that we're gonna see, and the dogs can eat it, and it will just go in one end and out the other. The worst part is when it goes in one end and back up the same end, 
And then, you know, they usually come in baggies to me. What is this? My dog's infected. But no, then I have to break it to the owner that, yes, they indeed got a hold of some cat poop and the cat's infected. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Dr. Araceli, thank you so much for being with us today. And I'm sure our um, listeners got a good education on some dirty stuff today. Love it. Anytime. Thank you so kindly. Thank you. Dr. Araceli Lucille Forster is a professor of veterinary parasitology at Cornell University. I'm Sherry Davis, and this is How to Dog. Today, we're talking about worms and other parasites that can make your dog feel pretty yucky and even get into you too, if you're not careful. You know, I've got an example here of uh, people who don't understand. They get puppies, especially young puppies, and, you know, they bring them in and they're like, oh, look at my new puppy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, have you been to a vet yet? Because um, your puppy's pretty bloated. And they're like, no, oh, big fat puppies. Well, a lot of times when your dogs have worms, especially as puppies, they get these really bloated out bellies. And a lot of people just think that those are little fat puppies, but actually those puppies could be full of worms. So I think it's really important, guys, that when you get any kind of dog, especially puppies, that you take them to the vet and you take a fecal sample and you make sure that you get them tested. It's not that your dog came from a dirty breeder or a bad place or a dirty shelter. It's something that happens naturally with dogs under stress. So always err on the side of caution and make sure that you get those stool samples checked yearly. My second guest today is Dr. Mike McClanahan, and he's a pretty famous vet. That's because he hosts the YouTube channel, Vet Guy in a Bow Tie, the podcast Vets Unleashed, and he also created the web series, The Nevermore Chronicles. Oh, and he knows more than a thing or two about dogs and worms. Dr. Mike, welcome to How to Dog. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Now, I am going to ask you to tell everybody what you do. Yeah, I am a veterinarian in Los Angeles, Hollywood, you know, the big, the big city. Uh, I do general practice. I also have a podcast called The Vets Unleashed. I have a YouTube channel called The Bowtie Vet Guy because I wear bow ties and I'm a vet and a guy. And I do some stand-up comedy, so a little bit of everything. You are a, a, a veterinarian, a general practitioner veterinarian. So you treat every kind of animal, a dog, cat, domestic yeah. for you do shots, you do dewormings, you do, I, I imagine, spay, neuters and some basic surgeries. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I've been, I uh, grew up in Iowa. I graduated from Iowa State University, Go Cyclones. Uh, and I practiced all over the country. I've been in upstate New York. I've been in Florida and now I'm in California. Um, and yeah, I do, I do a little bit of everything. So I'm the general vet that you go to take your dog or cat to and uh, do lots of talks about vaccinations, dewormings, um, fleas and ticks, uh, general surgery. So lumps and bumps removals, dentistry, spays and neuters. Exactly right. And I've been doing it about 25 years. Uh, well, you look fabulous for doing it oh, 25 thanks. years. So congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> A lot of people don't understand about dewormers. And, you know, 
I don't think they understand that we're basically the same kind of species and we can cross uh, contaminate one another. It is a problem. Like it could be life or death, not only for the animal, but to a human. Oh, for sure. It's really important. And when veterinarians take their oath, part of our oath is to help not just protect animal health, but also human health. And so that's really a, a big part of what we do. So veterinarians are involved in, you know, the meat industry and making sure our meats are safe and, and that kind of thing, but also thinking about parasites and, and how those might affect people as well. And, and you're right. I think the biggest thing that people, everybody's heard of worms, right? Oh, the dog has worms or, you know, that they're these sort of worm things that live in the intestines and, but how much problem do they do? How much of a problem is it really? And you're absolutely right too, that geographically makes a huge difference. You know what I mean? I practiced in Florida for several years and like every dog that's not on heartworm prevention down there has heartworm disease. Yeah. And these are worms live in the heart. They cause heart failure. It's bad. It's a really bad disease here in Southern California, where it's more of a deserty one. No, we don't have that much of it. Yeah. Right. And uh, up here in Canada, we have this wonderful thing called winter that just both freezes and kills everything, <laughs> including us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then you think like, okay, well, when do they need that protection? So when are the mosquitoes out? But it's not just when are the mosquitoes out. It's also has to do with ambient temperature, the nighttime temperatures, all of that plays into the transmission of heartworm disease. And, you know, the truth is that heartworm disease is present in all 50 states and all throughout Canada. You know, it's it's everywhere. Um, it's just more prevalent some places than others. You know, heartworm medication is in my opinion, is a very important medication. And I want to talk to you about the fallacy of the medication. I can't give the dewormer the heartworm medication because it kills dogs. Oh, yeah. So great, great point to bring up. You hear this is, again, goes back to social media. You're, you'll hear all of these things of like, you can't give this to a dog because it'll kill it or it kills this many dogs a year. And certainly most of the uh, most of the medications that we give, if a dog eats a whole package of it, you know what I mean, gets into the, the treat of it, it could cause some problems. But at the doses that that are used to prevent heartworm disease or used to prevent fleas and ticks, it's extremely safe, very, very safe. And there are some breeds that are more susceptible to those kinds of um, medication. So like some of the new oral flea and tick things, they're called isoxazolines. They have um, there are they have a warning on there that that it can cause seizures or tremors in certain breeds. And those are usually, um, you know, we used to say, what was it? Uh, white feet don't treat, you know, some of the herding breeds, but now we can even test for it. So if you have one of those breeds, you can test, do a DNA test and find out if your pet is going to be susceptible to this or not. But put it this way, these drugs have been out for about, I don't know, 10 years or so. And at my practice, we have six doctors. And over that time, using these products, we have probably taken two dogs off of the, off of the medication. Wow. Out of, out of 10 years. They're really safe. And both of those dogs were ones that had had seizure problems in the past. And they, they said, all right, we'll give it a try. And that dog had a few little tremors, you know, when they first gave it for the first day or two. And then they were fine after that. And we're like, you know what? We'll find another way to treat the fleas and ticks for that particular dog. But it's really uncommon. 
Okay. So when, when we hear about these cases or, you know, there's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to play the devil's advocate because, you know, uh, you put your views aside and you want to cover what everybody listening to might be thinking. Some of the pills that we give go topically, Mm -hmm. which is on the skin. And then others are ingestible. Now there is some people who say, oh, on the skin, it's causing a skin cancer. Uh, when you take it by the mouth, it's causing a stomach cancer. And a lot of the things that you hear online are uh, they're anecdotes. Somebody said my dog got a skin cancer and I was using the topical flea medications. Well, that those are those two things both happened. It doesn't mean one caused the other. Right. And so this is what scientists and vets try to do. We try to tease out that information of what's actually the cause. Now, things like Advantage and Frontline and Advantix have been out for, gosh, 25 years now. um, And we really don't see cancers and those stay topically. Right. So those don't go. Um, internally at all. There are some of the newer topical things that actually do get absorbed into the skin. So just because you put it on topically doesn't mean it's not going into inside the body too. So remember that. Um, but we just don't see a lot of cancers from that. A, a big one that you've probably heard of recently is the Soresto collars. That's a huge deal um, all over the internet. Like, And I think even here in the US, like Congress had some had some like, why is the FDA, you know, letting this thing come out that's killing, you know, thousands of dogs all the time. And uh, and this this collar has been out for a really long time. And I've you know, I've seen lots of dogs with it. There was an article on the um, one of the veterinary boards where they were talking about, okay, well, all these people are saying thousands of dogs are being killed by this collar, but there are no vets that are saying, I treated one of these dogs. The ASPCA poison control and the pet uh, poison control hotlines aren't aren't seeing, you know, people aren't calling in saying, oh, my dog's been poisoned by this. So where's the disconnect there? You know, why do are people seeing all of this, seeing it? I say that in quotes because they're saying, yes, this one absolutely killed my dog. And then the other side is definitive proof that an animal died from a product that it just isn't showing up. And so where's the disconnect? And the truth is, we don't know. We don't know why there is that disconnect. Um, but you see a lot of that. Uh, I remember maybe 20 years ago, remember it was all Febreze kills dogs. Yeah. And it was, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, (laughs) it's fine. You know, it it was always, it was always somebody's friend's brother is a doctor who said that they definitely, it definitely caused it. And and there's really nothing. You're just taking, you know, Joe Blow's word and going with it and flying on the coattails, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you have to think about the other side of that too. Like, what is the risk of having fleas and ticks, having intestinal parasites? What, what, what danger is there in that? And what danger is there in that to the people, the people around you, the people that you love, the kids around you? That's really important too. Right. So when when we're treating, uh, I'm gonna say this because I've heard, oh my gosh, so many people say this to me. They're like, um. Uh, well, no, our dog can't get fleas and ticks. It's on heartworm medication or it's on flea and tick medication. And I'm like, okay, do you think that means that there's a bubble surrounding (laughs) your dog? Because it's not, yes, they cannot survive on your animal and feeding Mm -hmm. off your animal that then they're going to die, but they're still going to get on your animal. They're still going to bite. They're still going to feed. 
Yeah, absolutely. And they can hitch rides on your pant legs. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and tick, they, yeah. Yeah. Tick, ticks are completely different too. Uh, ticks live almost entirely in the environment, right? And they're on grasses and things. And so, and if you think about it, one tick can lay up to 5,000 eggs one tick that's why you see these dogs sometimes that have been like stray dogs and stuff that just have ticks all over them that's because that that's how many are in the environment so if you're giving your uh pet a you know tick treatment of some kind you're right most of them do not have a repellency there are some that do have some repellency um but most of them you're right their ticks are going to get on they're going to bite and then they're going to die that might that means you might see a tick or two on your pet but it should be dead I think round and ring would probably be the most common worm. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't understand where worms come from. If I'm in the city and my dog isn't hunting and my dog isn't eating wild animals, and then how is it possible that my dog get worms? Great question. The most common way they're going to get worms, let's just take uh, the most common, which is roundworms you've mentioned. Um, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms are the intestinal parasites. Ringworm is going to be like that fungal infection that people get. That's like your, your, like your athlete's foot type of stuff that gets on the skin. But let's talk about intestinal parasites. So roundworms are by far the most common. And you're right, they can get that through hunting rodents and such, but more commonly, they just get it we say fecal oral. So a dog with the worms, even if the poop is picked up, they still, there's a little poop there. Your dog goes to smell it and licks its nose afterwards. Now those eggs have gotten into the body. Now the life cycle starts over. And that's how they pick it up is just from the environment. And once those eggs are in the environment, they are uh, pertinent near impossible to get out. It's they're really environmentally very tough, tough eggs to get out. So that's, and I think you're right. That's what people don't understand is how do they get these worms? And it's from, they can also get some from wildlife. You're right. But mostly it's from other dogs, fecal oral. And that's, that's round worms specifically. When people are, are, are talking about worms and, and um, they're like, well, my puppy was dewormed. And then and then all of a sudden they stop it and it's almost like the reels go backwards when they're talking to me and they're like, but why would my puppy have had worms? Because people just don't realize where these worms are coming from. So, you know, when you say to them, you know, a dog, dogs sniff each other's butts all the time and it mm -hmm. could just be from that. And then they're like, but hold on, my puppy mm -hmm. hadn't been around other dogs. My puppy was only Out with the, puppy. At the breeder. Yeah, how did the puppy get it? They get it from their mom. You're absolutely right. The uh, so transplacental. So when they're in the womb, the worms come out. And let's just like they all have worms. Every I'm going to say this too. Every person listening to this has been exposed to some sort of intestinal parasite in their lifetime. And most of us still have antibodies to those worms. Not most of us, but a very large percentage of people have intestinal parasites that go through them as well. Worms are everywhere. It's just part of it's just part of life. They're everywhere. And what happens is when the mothers have these roundworms, they kind of go quiet in the body. So we're only killing them with the dewormer. We're killing the ones that are in the intestines. That's it. So if they're not in the intestines, if they're in a different part of that life cycle, or if they're they've insisted somewhere, they've just kind of quiet into like a little shell waiting to come out, um, then we're not killing them. And what happens is when they have something that 
that makes them sick or stresses them out physiologically. And one of those things could be pregnancy. Here come those worms. They come out, they go across the placenta and can get into the puppies. And actually they'll sit in the puppy, wait for the puppy to be born. And then they start the life cycle there, which is why we start deworming puppies at two weeks of age and then do it every two weeks, because that's about the length of the life cycle. You have to wait for the worms to get up to be adults and go into the intestines. Then we kill them. Then we wait for the next ones to come up and become adults. And then we kill them again two weeks later. Okay. So, and this is typical of your whipworm, your tapeworm, your roundworm, but your ringworm is a different cycle and a different and, and very contagious to humans, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. So roundworm is kind of a misnomer. They're not actually worms. It's a fungal infection. So that's, they call it ringworm because in people, most of the time, it makes like a little ring on the skin um, and it's super contagious. Yeah. It's really hard to get that out of a, out of an area when it's in, it's in your house. Those, if you think about a fungus, they just, they stick around like a, well, I guess like a fungus, right? <laughs> but and so that's a completely different thing to treat. Um, one other thing you touched on there were, were tapeworms, which do have a different life cycle than the roundworms, the hookworms, and the whipworms. So we classify them into those worms that look kind of roundish, like yep. the hookworms and the whipworms, and those are um, those are the nematodes. And then there's the cestodes, which are like the tapeworms, the flatworms, yeah. and those are transmitted through fleas. They have to go through a flea. They can't go from animal to animal. Those And those are little ones that look like either rice or um, sesame seeds on the fur or on the poop. Those are little egg sacs. So even if another dog comes along, eats that egg sac, they're not going to get worms from that. Has to go through a flea. So another reason to keep flea prevention going. There you go. With the ringworm, how do mm -hmm. you contract that? Like how does a dog get ringworm? Ringworm is just by touching, right? So it, it's all over in the um, in the environment, they could get ringworm from us. Um, uh, ringworm is, I remember when I was in school, uh, there was a uh, the class ahead of me, there was a cow that came in that had ringworm, so a fungal infection on its skin, and they didn't diagnose it right away. And this was before cell phones, right? So yeah. we all had to use the same phone in the, in the, like to call the clients in the, in the student lounge. Every, Every vet that, that student that was on got ringworm, a rash on their ear and on their chin because it was spread from the phone. You know, I can't thank you enough. The education, educating people, the knowledge and education uh, to me is everything when you um, own an animal or for everything, just everyday life. But um, I can't thank you enough. Oh, hopefully you have cleared up a lot of issues for some of our people out there, Dr. Mike. I hope so. And if not, ask your vet. Don't be afraid to ask some questions. Thanks again, Dr. Mike. Thank you for having me. Dr. Mike McClanahan is a practicing veterinarian, comic, and is the host of numerous online shows. And as you've heard, he loves talking about canine parasites. Well, when you have a dog, you've got to take the gross stuff with the good stuff. And today's episode was certainly leaning towards the grosser side of dog ownership. But I hope you've learned a thing or two about how to recognize when your dog has a parasite and what to do if it does. I've been looking after dogs for decades, and even I've learned a few things today. 
Hudson and Rex returns with all new episodes this January on City TV. And catch up anytime on City TV Plus, the City TV app, or at CityTV.com. If you have time, please rate, review, and follow us in your podcast player of choice. And now it's time for Fun Dog Facts. As listeners of this fine podcast know, there are many dogs who are great actors, like Sherry's dog, Rex, whose name is actually Diesel. But there is a very famous film character who, while not exactly a dog, was certainly inspired by one. When the director of this film was writing the script, his faithful Alaskan Malamute would come and sit beside him every day as he worked. In fact, he came to depend on his dog being there so much that he decided to write a character into the film who was a faithful, furry sidekick. That director was George Lucas, and the character was, of course, Chewbacca, Han Solo's co-pilot in the Star Wars movies. Oh, and the dog's name? Indiana, which makes it clear he was also the inspiration for another character Lucas went on to create several years later, working with the same actor. The Dog is hosted by Sherry Davis. Produced by me, Davin Langell. And me, Adam Killick. Executive producers, Christina Jennings, Scott Garvey, and Sherry Davis. Editing and mixing, also by me, Adam Killick. Research by the amazing Nicole Saltz. How to Dog is a Shaftesbury podcast produced in association with Rogers Sports and Media Incorporated and part of the Frequency Podcast Network. You can find more great shows at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. Copyright 2022, Shaftesbury.